each and every one of us will face the judgment of Christ, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of being accountable for our life lived here. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. The scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, and if you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Romans 8 at verse 28, excuse me, Romans 8, 35, verse 35, and you'll find it on page 1758, page 1758 of the church Bible. Most of you know that over the last few weeks we have been steadily working our way through the Apostles' Creed, and today we're coming to the seventh stanza. Which is, which is, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. The scripture reading again is Romans 8, verse 35. The Apostle Paul, writing to encourage the church at Rome, writes these words, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. As we worked our way through the Apostles' Creed on a Sunday morning, we have learned so much and been challenged at levels we didn't see coming. And in many ways, it's been a thrill and a joy on a Sunday morning to open up the Scriptures together and to learn more of the incredible love of God for us. But this morning, we come to that very difficult phrase, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now, on Sunday mornings, we believe here at First Presbyterian that we do several things simultaneously. And one of the things we're eager to do is that when we gather for worship on a Sunday morning, we want you leaving with a sense of belonging. We want you to leave thinking, this is for me a spiritual home, a place that is life-giving, a place that is life-affirming, but also a place which will from time to time equip us to deal with the hard questions that we sometimes come across in a 21st century cultural setting. Today, as we come to look at, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, it's that word judge that we're focusing on. Because folks will say to me from time to time, now, Richard, I understand you are a pastor, and I suspect that belief is genuine and sincere, but do you really, really believe in the judgment of God? Shh, 
surely that's an archaic, primitive, barbaric belief that is centuries old. Surely you don't still believe in that today. Because, Richard, when you say that, it comes off as judgmental, narrow-minded, bigoted, a little aggressive, and if you forgive me, almost imperialistic. God judging people? I think not. Well, let's push back a little. How do we respond when we hear those kinds of questions? In fact, folks will often take it a step further and say, Richard, don't you honestly believe that in this day and age we are adult enough to set our own subjective moral standards and then live up to those standards? Surely we can agree on that. Surely we don't need a book to tell us how to behave or regulate our lives. Surely we are mature adults who can set our own moral standards and live up to those subjective moral standards. Surely. Well, if you are convinced that we should treat each other as adults, mature, capable of setting and then living up to our own subjective moral standards, let me ask this question. Do you lock your door before going to sleep at night? If you lock your door before going to sleep at night, you do not believe humanity is capable of setting their own moral standards. Because the moral standards of the person who has come to invade your home and steal your property and your belongings, their moral standards are not the same moral standards as yours. And they will set that bar low. You may set it high, but they will set it very low. Subjective moral standards were determined by the Nazi party in Germany in 1930s. That ended in a holocaust. 60 million Chinese subjective moral standards lost their lives under Mao Zedong. When we talk about a God of judgment wrapped up in there is also a God of justice. Why do we discuss or why do we talk about Rwanda, Yugoslavia, the Holocaust, the atrocities of ISIS? Why do we talk about them as atrocities? Because as Christian people, we are absolutely firmly convinced and convicted that life is sacred. Sacred. Not only is it sacred, and you may recognize some of this language, we also believe in liberty and justice for all. Justice is every part, the character of God, as love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's right there. If he was not a just God, he could not possibly be God because he is God in all perfection and holds together holiness and righteousness and love and grace and also justice. And when God comes to judge the quick and the dead, he will do it with justice, not in an arbitrary fashion, not angry 
ready to smite someone in a haphazard way because he's had a bad day, but with justice and grace. And Romans tells us this, if it tells us anything. There is no place too dark, no place too deep that the love of God cannot be found. That's the dominant theme of Romans. But in order to get there, we have to face human depravity. And Paul has achieved all of that. And so by the time you come to Romans chapter 8, he's now focused on the love of God. But before we notice or focus on it uh, and move into our next section, allow me to also say this. That when someone suggests to us that the judgment of God is primitive, barbaric, it leads to a judgmental spirit, to arrogance and bigotry, please hear this. It is much easier to dismiss the judgment of God than live in the light of it. Now, let me say it again. It is much easier in a 21st cultural setting, 21st century cultural setting, to dismiss the judgment of God than to live in the light of it. Because, folks, please understand this. And Romans tells us this. The New Testament tells us this. The Old Testament tells us this. Across the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, that everyone who has ever lived, whatever their age and stage, whatever their cultural background, whatever their upbringing, will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will have to give an account for their life. And quite frankly, this morning, I would rather focus on the inspiration that God brings into our life. I would quite rather focus on His love and His grace. I would quite rather focus on what happens in terms of increasing our intimacy with Him in prayer or in worship. But if, as a pastor, I am called to do my job, I am not allowed to jump over entire sections of Scripture. I'm not allowed to sugar coat the gospel. I'm not allowed to marginalize it or minimize it or say it doesn't matter. Folks, please hear me on this. Allow me to say it with all the gentleness and pastoral care I can. Every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account of their life. Everyone now, there are two classifications of the judgment of God. One, not so good. The other, good news. Let's deal with the not so good first. Whenever an individual stands before the judgment seat of Christ, that individual will have to explain how they either embraced or resisted the call of the gospel. And if an individual has to explain why they resisted the call of the gospel, please hear me. They will 
have to justify why they treated the love and grace and mercy of God with disdain and contempt. They will have to explain why Calvary was not for them. They will have to explain why Christ did not come to die for their sin and how they have rejected Him and chose sin over Him and walked away and lived their own life. Eternal salvation matters. And at that judgment, that judgment seat of Christ, at the point of judgment, you will either be welcomed in to eternity with Christ, or you will be rejected on the basis of your sin. And to be rejected, and please hear me when I say this, you will be rejected and spend eternity outside of the presence of God in hell with all the accomplishing sense of punishment that goes with it. That's the first category. The second category is this, that for the Christian the individual who recognizes the depravity of their own sin, who at some point in their life has come to Christ and said, forgive me, cleanse me, change me, transform me. I am so sorry for my sin. I am so sorry for taking you for granted and treating you with disdain and contempt. Forgive me. Enter in. Transform me. And allow me to know what it means to walk with you the rest of my days. That individual will understand the reality of Romans chapter 8. And they will grasp and they will get it that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Notice what he says. We are more than conquerors in these things through him who loved us. And folks, please notice that. Through him who loved us. Because we are Christian people today, not because of something we have done, but because of what he has done at Calvary. That's why we're Christian people. And we're not Christian people and adopt a position of arrogance. We adopt a position of gratitude and thanksgiving and grateful for His mercy and love. That's why we're Christians today, not because of something we have done, but what He has done through Him who loved us. And notice as He takes it to the next level, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither anything present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us. And so the question in our mind this morning is this, Richard, if nothing will separate us, how is it that some people lose their faith? Great question. What about Simon Peter, who betrayed Jesus 
the night before his crucifixion? Did he lose his faith? What about David, king of Israel, author of Psalm 23 and so many other psalms? David, who committed adultery and then murder, did he lose his faith? Because the Scripture teaches this, that at Christ's death at Calvary, when He hung there for our sins, He did not make salvation possible. It's not about possibility or credibility, but He secured our salvation forever. He actually saved us at Golgotha. He saved us. That's why he said, it is finished. It is over. That's why he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, because it is now complete. He didn't make it possible. He made it eternal. So what about the individual who seemingly loses their faith? How do we reconcile that? Well, there is no question that what Simon Peter did and what David did, they will have to account for. But here is the difference, and if you're taking notes this morning, please get it down. Christians can fall seriously and radically. Christians can fall seriously and radically, but never totally and finally. The Scripture doesn't teach that. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us ultimately from the love of God. Do we stumble and fall seriously and radically? Absolutely. But do we do so finally and totally? Never. Simon Peter, of course, was reinstated. David likewise. And you'll find it in Psalm 51 when he pours out his heart in deep, lasting repentance. Now, you may be saying, Richard, I hear all that. I get it. I see the logic of it. But why does the Christian stand before the judgment seat of Christ if the salvation of the Christian is a foregone conclusion? If nothing can separate us, what is the judgment for the Christian? Well, there are two classifications of the judgment, and we heard them. One for the non-Christian, one for the Christian. And for the Christian, it's about more than our eternal salvation. Because our eternal salvation was dealt with at Calvary. But it's our lifelong sanctification that we will be judged for. Now, I've thrown in some technical language there. Allow me, please, to explain it. In the life of the Christian, that life begins at the moment when we are born again, when the gospel impacts our lives, when we are transformed and renewed, and in fact, quickened. We find life in Christ. That's the point of our salvation. That's the beginning of our Christian life. We belong to Him for all eternity. That's what was accomplished at Calvary. 
Now, the sanctification process that is lifelong begins at that point as well. And the sanctification process is theological terminology for this. How do we live the Christian life from that point forward? Do we apply Christian principles in our working life? Do we apply Christ-like living in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, in our place of work? Are we honest? Are we prayerful? Are we obedient to the call of God? Do we apply the Word of God? And it's that sanctification process that Christ will hold us to account for. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul deals with this in great detail. And for those of you who are Sunday school teachers and seminary graduates, you will know that is called antinomianism. And basically it means this, that if a person has a saving uh, relationship with Christ, that person can live any kind of life they like. And Romans and the Gospels and everywhere else say, absolutely not. Your walk must equal your talk and its faithfulness to Christ, obedience to His Word, the application of biblical principles, that's where we will be called to account. And quite honestly, I hope that the Lord will take me off to some small side room where no one else is, and He and I can discuss it there. But that's not what the Scripture teaches that each and every one of us will face the judgment of Christ, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of being accountable for our life lived here. And that's what's going on here. So having said all of that, He will come to judge the quick and the dead. What does quick mean? Well, medical terms years ago, When a baby leapt in the womb, doctors would talk about a quickening. And when they talked about a quickening, when a baby moved, they were talking about a living entity. Sometimes you'll find there's a bit of loose skin at the edge of your nail, and you'll pull it, and of course, it's the quick of the nail, and it, whoa, it hurts, it stings. The nail itself is dead, but the tissue and skin around is very much alive, and that's a quickening takes place. You realize it is living. And so when the Apostles' Creed talks about he will come to judge the quick and the dead, it's the living and the dead. Now, some of you are saying, Richard, okay, I'm with you. I've got it. I've heard all this. But quite honestly, for me to live in a Christ-like fashion each day. For me to face up to the challenges and difficulties that come my way, I have trouble with that. I am not sure that I'll make it. Others of you are saying, Richard, I understand, I get it. But Richard, I came to church this morning, and my wife is undergoing hospice care. And she may not be here in 10 days or a month. Well, if that is you, allow me to wrap it up with one final thought. 
Look at chapter 8, verse 35 again. That's where we began. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then go back further one verse to verse 34. And verse 34 reads like this. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We touched on this two weeks ago about Christ sitting at that right hand of God the Father Almighty and His role as intercessor. And please understand this. If you belong to Him and have a saving faith and have intimacy with the living God, He's no longer praying for your salvation because you are already there. But He's interceding for you in what sense? He's saying and praying to his Father. Father, when an individual goes through those days when a wife or a husband is terminally ill, strengthen them. Enable them by the presence of your Holy Spirit to know your love and grace and enabling. Enable them to persevere. Help them to keep going. Answer their prayers. Be there for them. Reassure them of your love. And He is interceding for us. And He's the only one who can do it because He understands this, being fully human and fully divine. Scripture tells us He was tempted in every way such as we are. And He knows the attraction of sin. He knows its enticing power. He knows its addictive quality. And He's continuing to pray for us. Father, see them through it. Strengthen them. Enable them. He is interceding for us. And you may well be saying, Richard, I needed to hear he was praying for me. I needed to know that he would presence himself in our midst. But Richard, quite honestly, with all I'm facing, that demands great faith. Remember what we said two weeks ago? It's not the amount of your faith that matters but the object of your faith that matters. And when your trust and faith is in Him, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Good days, bad days, awful days, frustrating days, challenges you never thought would come your way, He is interceding for you. For you. And leave this morning with these words ringing in your ears. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you for the difficult and challenging questions that so often come our way as Christian folks. But Father, thank you 
for your goodness and your love and your mercy. And Father, thank you that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not find an impartial judge, but we will find a judge deeply in love with us. Father, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.